Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read-through The Lord of the Rings. We are on episode 33 today, and we're covering the last chapter uh, in book three, and that's book three, chapter 11, The Palantir. Um, just to give a little summary, uh, so uh, Gandalf and Aragorn and Theoden and company are leaving Isengard, and they make camp in this valley, and uh, during the night, Pippin uh, is consumed by the memory of that uh, orb that he saw uh, come out of Orthanc, and uh, and he steals the Palantir from Gandalf. He creeps up on him while he's sleeping, and as he's holding the Palantir, he sees Sauron, um, and he has a sort of uh, mental uh, conversation with Sauron. And this wakes up everybody in the camp, and they wrestle the... Uh, the uh, Palantir from him. And then uh, there's a bit of discussion about uh, what that is. There's a conversation between Gandalf and Aragorn about what to do with it. Um, and Gandalf and uh, Shadowfax and Pippin uh, uh, run to uh, Minas Tirith, and Mary stays with the rest of the company. Yeah, and I, I think... This chapter is mostly significant simply because it's the last chapter of book three. Right. I don't think otherwise there's really too much happening um, in it. It does establish how Saruman was working with Sauron, which up to this point was sort of unclear. And the mm -hmm. characters didn't know. And we as the readers didn't know. But this shows that Saruman had been in contact with Sauron through this Palantir. And the, basically Sauron used that to lure Sa uh, saruman into his trap so to speak and get him on his side so other than that it kind of sets it sets up for book uh five down the road where we'll be in gondor so this ends with gandalf riding with pippin to gondor and so it's going to set us up for that book and that's about it I, I don't think there's too much too many big themes or issues coming out here personally we have the uh the palantir sort of serving as a uh miniature version of the ring you have the mm -hmm. temptation and um, sort of same sort of theme uh, with Pippin. And I think it's, it's not so much of a, um, I don't think it's Tolkien repeating himself. I think it's more of a, uh, I think it's a uh, another uh, instance of the same topic, which is that uh, it's not just the ring, right? Yeah. So the ring is not... It's not just that, oh, uh, it's just this object and that's the only temptation in the world because it's magically uh, tempting. Um, but there's this overarching temptation of uh, powerful objects. Mm -hmm. And I love that image when it describes Pippin as holding the Palantir and he's bent over it and he's crouched in a corner, so to speak, sitting down, Palantir in his lap, bent over it like that. Mm-hmm. That's a very uh, addict image, yeah. I think. It, it's just it's very powerful. And it's perfect. And he's clasping the ball with both hands. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed during this read through uh, that the Palantir glows with fire as he f is uh, first touching it, but that his actual communion with Sauron it describes. Let's see. Let me see if I can read it. Um, Suddenly the lights went out. He gave a gasp and struggled, but he remained bent, clasping the ball with both hands. Closer and closer he bent, and then became rigid. His lips moved soundlessly for a while. 
Uh, then with a strangled cry, he fell back and lay still. So this conversation he's having with Sauron, Sauron actually is this darkness. I think a lot of, myself included, a lot of people imagine the Palantir as this burning uh, object. But I thought it was interesting that Sauron, when he is talking to Pippin, is just darkness. Yeah. It do, I, th- I think we are reinforced with that image now that the Peter Jackson movies are so dominant in their imagery for mm-hmm. things. And they chose to go with the, like a flaming ball, which which worked great for a a film medium. Uh, but there is something to these books that sometimes we forget, which is that Sauron's predominant trait is less and less like the flaming eye, which does come up in the book a lot. But it's he's really associated less with fire and more with darkness. Mm. Just pure darkness. I wanted to also mention we had the voice of uh, Saruman uh, just just recently, as our mm-hmm. careful listeners might remember. Um, yeah. But here we actually have... For those who don't listen to this on, like, shuffle play. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, if you're just tuning in, this is uh, The Lord of the Rings, a very a popular book. Heck of a book. Although, you know what? We're going to hear from some astute readers at the end of this episode that it might not actually be that great of a book. Wow. Well, we'll I, talk about that. I can't wait. I'm excited, too. Yeah. Um, we need to hear both sides. <laughs> uh, well, we're hearing both sides here. We hear... Uh, the voice of Sauron, as told by uh, Pippin. Um, so Pippin actually doesn't hear Sauron. Hmm. He says that... Um, oh, it's actually, I didn't notice it before, but I'm, I'm going to read this short quote. Uh, Pippin says, Then he came. He did not speak so that I could hear words. He just looked, and I understood. And then he goes hmm. on to describe what he said. But that's actually... Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Morgoth and the Silmarillion. When he's like, and Morgoth okay. came uh, mm. when when Fingolfin was summoning him. Um, but uh, yeah, so you get this this description of what Sauron is saying. But to me, it felt a little bit Hobbit-like, right? So this is uh, it felt a little uh, like it wasn't high uh, speech, right? Like it it seemed like something. I mean, so it, it is like explicitly Pippin saying it but he's quoting him and yet Mm -hmm. it's this evil as interpreted through the mind of pippin um yeah what interesting contrast too to have saruman his whole power is in his voice sauron is so powerful he doesn't even need to speak right voice doesn't come into it doesn't need it yeah just just uh observing this power is enough to to break you and sauron's association here with pure darkness pure like you know just sheer black darkness is also an interesting contrast to saruman who we didn't really talk about this actually much in this podcast but the book's pretty clear that he has moved from being saruman the white to saruman of many colors and it says that his cloak is always seems to be changing color whenever you look at it like you can't quite pin it down as a color like any slight movement will change the color and uh sauron is the total absence of color right he is just sheer Mm -hmm. darkness i love that i mean in the end basically saruman for all of his danger and for all of his efforts is nothing compared to this guy but but for me really again just think about this chapter as like the end of book three there's some there's some things I want to say about it being the end of book three. And then I also think this is a good opportunity for me to think about, well, 
what do I think about book three as a whole now that we've finished it? And one thing that strikes me about this chapter as the end of book three is that this is kind of the first chapter that doesn't, or excuse me, this is the first ending to one of the books. We've done one, two, and now this is three. Um, that hasn't really been much of a cliffhanger like the other ones have. Yeah. It feels pretty like, okay, I don't necessarily need right now to like know exactly what happens on the next page. I feel like this is a decent place to stop and take a break. That's a huge change. And I would argue this is the only chapter or the only book that ends that way, except I guess book six when it, <laughs> the whole thing ends. Um, but then you go but, into the appendices and... Yeah, you can't yeah. stop, sure. Can't. But no, it's, you know, book four will end on a cliffhanger. Book five will end on a cliffhanger. Book one did, book two did. This book stands out that it doesn't, it doesn't. The Palantir, this chapter just kind of is like a nice, everything's kind of wrapped up for that part of the story. Saruman's taken care of. We know where we're going to go next. Nothing is driving us to go there next. It's like, seems to be, oh my gosh, is, is something going to immediately happen? We saw that in book one, right? Frodo's been knocked out. Um, oh my god, you know, what's gonna, we got to know immediately what's going to happen to him. That's not really the case here. Um, it's wrapped up. It's very different, it feels, then, from like the rest of the, the books. And I think some of that is is almost forced, in, in my mind, because, you know, spoiler alert, but as we get to the next uh, next book, we start a completely different thread of, of this narrative with Sam and, and Frodo. Um, mm-hmm. And so it almost feels like it this was necessary to just kind of have things wrapped up a little bit um, in order just to go back in time and, and start something else. Yeah. Yeah, baby. I don't know. I do think it's personally, and this really ties into how I think about book three now as a whole. I'm not, I, I wish he did find a way to make it a little more cliffhangery. I, I really like how books one, two, four, and five end. Um, I think that's really dramatic and powerful and, I wish there was a bit of that here. It's just not the most dramatic or powerful ending to it. Mm. Yeah, but that's just me. In general, I think what's interesting, before this podcast, if you had asked me to pick out a favorite of the six books in Lord of the Rings, I would have said book three. I would have said this one. Reading it now for this podcast, it is now currently my least favorite. Oh. Uh, So I've really done a 180 here. This podcast has changed my uh, take on it. You know, I'm happy to help as much as 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 I can. (laughs) Yeah, it's been great. Um, I appreciate baskets of fruit. Uh, is also for our listeners. Um, just cash. Yes. Yeah, you guys have no idea the costs we incur running this podcast. You have no idea what the toll a podcast takes. <laughs> the co- both both financially and spiritually, the spiritual costs of running a podcast. Um, but you know, I what I would say that I liked about book three before this podcast, I still love. It's still here. I love the Rohirrim, and I love everything Tolkien does with them. It's brilliant. I love the voice of Saruman chapter. I love the Ents. I love Treebeard. What a great character. What a what a pure Tolkien invention. But what's interesting is what I didn't notice until we did this podcast in this format is how this book has more of the it, – it's very like peaks and troughs. The peaks are great. When I re- read through this normally, which is to say like just reading as fast as I can or whatever mm-hmm. – I, st- I stay on the peaks. I don't really notice the dips. But when we did it here at Chapter Week, I really noticed the dips. Like, this this book has more slow-moving chapters than the other two books did, it feels like. And that says a lot because a lot of people hate, you know, book one for being slow. But 
I don't think book one's slow at all. I love the Bombadil stuff in the old forest and the walking and hiking. This to me, chapters like the White Rider, Helm's Deep, uh, the Urukai, the Road to Isengard. Voice of Saruman, the flotsam and jetsam. <laughs> King of the uh, Golden Hall. You know, I'm uh, just reading the table. Of no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you have at least, I would say, like three chapters in this book, if not four, that are not the best, that are some of the weaker stuff in the whole novel. And so as a result, now I'm like, oh, this, this book to me feels just inconsistent. It's, when it's great, it's the best. Um, and when it's low, it's the worst hmm. um so far at least we'll see what my you know opinion do you have um, a do you have a favorite chapter that you know of uh off the top of your head for for this book for this book king of the golden hall i think king of the golden hall is a, it's a candidate for one of the best chapters in the novel i mean i think it's hard i usually say breaking of the fellowship is my favorite for the whole novel um king of the golden hall is up there for sure though departure of boromir is pretty mm. good too it is. That's a great, great chapter. I'm telling you, the, the great chapters in this book are some of the best. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, yeah, some of them are not that great. So for what it's worth, I just want to throw it out there. I just want to point out, look at me. I have said something negative about The Lord of the Rings. Just want that out there. I am not a totally blind fanboy, so to speak. You know, Charlie. I can be critical. There are some other people who feel this way about the Lord of the Rings all the time. There are. Would you know of a resource where we could access pure hatred of classic literature? <laughs> I don't know about pure hatred, but <laughs> I do have something special. So actually, and this I didn't even make this for the podcast. Um, you can see that back in 2013, I don't even know what I was doing in 2013. Um, I do. We lived together. This was then? Oh, my God. All right. So back in 2013, I was inspired to record Pip uh, while we lived together. No, no. Um, in 2013, I set up a Twitter account called Shit Said About Tolkien, where basically I, I would read all this stuff online, like articles um, or discussions on Reddit or message boards or something like this, where people would talk about The Lord of the Rings, and they would just say stupid things, just stupid things, right? Like they think they're smart. They think they know what they're talking about and they were stupid. And this is why I will quibble with you. They didn't necessarily have to like hate Lord of the Rings. I think a lot of the stuff I collected, people loved Lord of the Rings. They just really had weird ideas about it. Yeah. Um, no, like I would podcast. hazard to say that none of these people have actually read the Lord of the Rings. And I think that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, so it's one of those books, right? Where you pretend to have read it. Yes. You know, like, I don't know. There's a cultural thing about like you were supposed to have read it. So um well here's the result <laughs> yeah and it was really inspired by though the fact that i kept seeing this recurring theme pop up of people say oh i hate the lord of the rings but i really liked the hobbit and i kept thinking maybe that's because the hobbit's a children's book and so that was like this running theme and i would just find a million of these and then i just sort of expanded it to like anything weird that people would say about about the book and you know look you just heard me i can be very critical of this book but you got to have a reasonable criticism you have to have actually and i mentioned this before on next episode of this podcast you have to engage in the text in good faith right um these people do not do that 
and they had the weirdest weirdest ideas we gotta read some you gotta we gotta give me some, some of your best ones let's take a look all right so i love this this guy this guy says if you look at lord of the rings there's constant allegory even if tolkien denied it sauron is hitler <laughs> saruman is mussolini <laughs> Um, there is no textual evidence for that one, like at all. Like, I don't think that person can give you a single citation from the actual book that would, that would <laughs> apply to that. But, well, you know, I should have given you some, some classics too, of course. We have, you know, these people are all like, oh, I tried reading the Lord of the Rings books ages ago, but they're painfully boring. I loved reading The Hobbit, though. And, you know, the running thing here, too, is they usually say they tried reading Lord of the Rings as children and they found them boring and they loved The Hobbit, which again is like, yeah, maybe that's. Because that was written for you, uh, uh, for that age. I just found one. I like shit. Were zzz inducing. <laughs> I was also fourteen at the time. <laughs> um, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. As an elitist, I carry it as a badge of honor. Oh, I guess that's more of a. <laughs> you can see yeah, some of these red movies. It still works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Philosophy of the book. It's Lord of the Rings, not Camus. Kafka or Dostoevsky. <laughs> the books aren't bad. They're just boring. <laughs> to me, that's the worst <laughs> offense that an author can make. Um, so it's not, <laughs> they're not bad. They've just the worst thing that an author can do. <laughs> Tolkien is an exercise in drudgery. I think that's yep. great. Yep. I have a pillow with that on it. Yeah, and then Tolkien's misspelled in the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. None of these people can spell Tolkien either. It's fantastic. Um, Christopher Lee is probably a bigger Tolkien scholar than Christopher Tolkien. That one's a little. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no way. What? <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Also, unlike in The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter morals play a major part in the plot, and they help to further develop the characters. <laughs> The battle against evils, both internal and external, as we see characters' <laughs> constant struggles to do what is right. I love that. Because it, literally, I think it's episode one of this podcast, we talk about <laughs> how Tolkien's trying to make the conflict with evil internal and not just external. Um, so, hey, I have a resource for that person if they choose to. <laughs> I like this one. Uh, this guy says, Tolkien is the man who will write for 10 pages or more about rousing speeches and roll calls for battle prior to a fight, but then dismiss almost all of the battle itself. I love that one, because if you swap Tolkien for Shakespeare, it applies just <laughs> as well. Turns out it's not very exciting to read about sword moves. Yeah. <laughs> but let's, you know what? Wait, I, wait, wait. We got to get this guy. Thing. Hold up. This guy loved Lord of the Rings. So not all these are negative. So these people love Lord of the Rings. This is great. He says, I've read the Lord of the Rings 21 times. J.R.R. Tolkien was a genius, but he was helped with his opium smoking. <laughs> you know, and I find it really helps this podcast too. It's real necessary to get through this drudgery. <laughs> what, opium smoking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Comparing... Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, this guy says, um, in the Lord of the Rings, there are plenty of dead CGI warriors, but who actually cares about those deaths? What impact does that have on the rest of the trilogy? None whatsoever. Whereas in Harry Potter, one of the major themes of the whole series is death. Wow. As if, if only Tolkien had known anything about 
the impact of death <laughs> on people's lives. It's great. If we were to quote us for this Twitter feed, I wonder what we would quote. What have we said in this podcast that shit said about Tolkien? Um, I have certainly gone off the rails where I started a sentence and not known where I was yeah. going to end it. Um, I think, that, but it, it, it all ended up being perfect. So I don't, I don't know if it really fits. It's true. We're kind of infallible. Ah, anyway, these people they don't get it. It's a heck of a book. Heck of a book. I do. Yeah. I do have one one last thing to bring up. Uh, yeah. Before before we move on to book four, mm-hmm. uh, which will be a double feature today. We're gonna record that yeah. right after this. Um, still separate episodes. Uh, but uh, here we see. Uh, so so not a double feature if you're listening through the podcast. Just, you will, you would not have noticed. In fact, if you didn't just point to it. Out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, but we see Aragorn's I conversation. I will upload them at the same time, so you're really just not getting out <laughs> <laughs> any benefit from this. Uh, but back to the text. Um, mm. We see Aragorn's conversation with Gandalf about what to do with Palantir. Uh, and it's interesting that they disagree um, mm. here. Uh, Aragorn says that, uh, well, he mentions that the, the Palantir is really kind of his heirloom in a sense. Um, and he says, uh, now my hour draws near, I will take it. And he does take it. Um, but it's interesting to see the relationship be something other than, oh, they're both strong, good guys. Um, mm-hmm. Gandalf in very sort of, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of, of Merlin. Yeah. Gandalf looked at Aragorn and then to the surprise of the others, he lifted the covered stone and bowed as he presented it. And, and it's interesting to, to see Gandalf as uh, he is not the champion of this world, right? In the same sense that he's not, he's certainly apart from it, right? That he comes from, uh, from outside the world um, and he's sent into it to help guide it, but not, but it's not his world. Um, yeah. In the same sense that Aragorn is king of of the land. Yeah, and I, I love. I'm with you. It's got to be a Merlin reference, like a Merlin and Arthur. Yeah. Reference going on there about uh, where in most of those old Arthur stories, Merlin's a servant to Arthur, and it's very like has to defer to him. I love it. So, do you have a favorite line? Yeah, I would just say that um, my favorite line is the poem said at the end that is coming sort of referring to the palantir gandalf sings it he says tall ships and tall kings three times three what brought they from the foundered land over the flowing sea seven stars and seven stones and one white tree Hmm. it's a cool poem i actually don't even want to get too much of an explanation of it gandalf does explain the seven stars and seven stones they're the palantir the palantiri is the correct pronunciation or pluralization there but you know like a lot of this stuff i'm like oh i don't know what that means and i'm kind of okay with it it kind of reminds me i think michael drought talks about this in his writing and lectures on lord of the rings that for some of the big um references to the backstory sometimes they're just powerful as like the feeling of depth Mm. even if you don't know exactly what's referring to um yeah so yeah, I, I think it's a great example of that. I I know there's an explanation and backstory for everything said in that poem, but in this moment, I don't really care. Yeah, I, I get the same feeling. Where, I mean, you're seeing it from the eyes of of Pippin, really, too. There, you know, uh, you're on the back of this horse with yeah. this being that's um, seeing a poem about the you know uh, history of the world, and it's. Yeah, I get the same feeling. 
Kind of reminds me of like sitting in the back of a car at night, with, like with my parents mm. or something. Um, well, let's see. Uh, my favorite line, uh, again, of talking about the Palantir. Uh, Perilous to us all are the devices of an art deeper than we possess ourselves. And you know, it's just true, just as true then as it is today. Mm. Well, it's deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually really do like it. Wow, we, we came up with a lot to say about uh, an exercise in drudgery. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I encourage everybody, go check out the Twitter account. Uh, shit said about Tolkien. The actual URL, I think, is Tolkien Say. I don't know why I picked that. Maybe there was this was back in 2013. You know, I don't remember anything. Check it out. Tweet at us. Share me your your favorite shit said about Tolkien. Yeah, and we will see you next time. Book four, chapter one, The Taming of Smeagol.